Hello and welcome to another edition of Here's the Pitch, sponsored by Masses Restaurants in St. Louis, our title sponsor. Five locations, stlmasses.com is their website. You can look at their menu items, and we'll talk about my title sponsor in a little bit, and hopefully some more big news with some new sponsors joining throughout the year. That is my hope. As I continue here in my fifth year of podcasting, I can't believe that this thing started in 2016 and it's now 2020. We're in a new decade, but we're evolving the podcast as always. The name was Baseball and Beyond to begin uh, because it was going to be baseball and then I'd like to go beyond, but I took the baseball out of the whole title and just called it Here's the Pitch because I want more different types of people on the show. People pitching their book, people pitching their tour, people pitching their appearance, whatever. So we call it Here's the Pitch. We've had comedian Tom Green on. We've had MTV VJ Alan Hunter, one of the original VJs. Had Brother Love from the WWF. So those are some of those baseball and beyond beyond type people. Uh, But I've never interviewed a lead singer of a rock and roll band that has sold over 5 million albums. And today, that's what we're doing. Art Alexakis. Man, that last name has been so hard. He is the lead singer of Everclear. And um, basically, I am looking to do more interviews like this. I'm a huge music fan. Huge music fan from the 80s, the 90s. I love pretty much all types of music. And um, I've always been interested in the songwriting process and how a song becomes a single and just how you become huge overnight, which is what it seemed like for me with Everclear. And uh, to be honest, Art is the first one here to talk about that here in 2020. But uh, trust me, I'm hoping to do more of these. So today, I hope you enjoy uh, a departure from what I've done with the majority of the interviews. But I will tell you, in 2020, that is the goal. Of course, there will still be baseball. There's always going to be baseball. I love baseball. I love St. Louis Cardinal baseball and anything around Baseball. Cardinals make a big trade, by the way, as, as I tape this. But um, I'm, I'm excited to talk about our, our guest today. So Everclear is a band that uh, came onto the scene around 1995. Um, you'll hear in the interview, we talk a little bit about how the big breaks happen for the band, which I'm, again, I'm always, how does a band break? Like, how does it happen? And I, I'm always curious with that story. Uh, Everclear had hits called uh, like Santa Monica, and you, we can live beside the ocean. You, can, you know that song. I'm not going to sing. I, I would sing, but I'm not going to sing here. Father of mine, they they do that song too. I will buy you a new life. All these songs from my college days and then after college, and it's just amazing that I got a chance to talk to them. So now I welcome Art to the phone here. Hello, Art. How are you? Good, Brad. How you doing? Uh, I'm excellent. I am. I am stoked to talk to you. I got to be honest. Uh, huge fan of the stuff in the '90s, and then uh, I noticed that you got some uh, new stuff coming out. You're going to do a solo uh, album and a tour. So I think that's where we'll start right now. You're you're about to go on stage tonight, right? This is the first uh, night of a solo tour for you. Tell me a little bit about uh, any jitters. Uh, tell me all about it. Okay. Well, I do have a little. A little bit of jitters because it's different than going on stage with Everclear. But I've been doing to- solo tours since the beginning, um, and uh, it's different now because I am, as you say, 
supporting the solo record. The solo record came out in October. It's called Sun Songs. And uh, first single up, it's called um, Hot Water Test. And that video is just getting finished now, so it should be out and out and about in a couple of weeks. Um, I, uh, yeah, I, this is actually the last leg of my solo tour. I've been touring off and on on this since uh, October, and uh, or actually late September. And um, so, yeah, I've got a few more shows left tonight and next three days after that. And then uh, I go home and uh, get ready for some... Uh, Everclear, a lot of Everclear next year. Tell me a little bit about yeah, what you're going to do with Everclear next year then, or well, I guess this year, well, the 2020s this just started. Yeah. yeah, I'm still saying next year because this is my first interviews of this year, so I still think it's like you know December. Um, uh, we well this this year is the 20th anniversary of our fourth record, Songs from American Movie Volume One, which had Wonderful on AM Radio and a bunch of other songs on it. And uh, so we'll be doing the 20th anniversary uh, like we did for uh, so much for the Afterglow and for Spark One Fade. We'll be doing the whole album in, in its completeness and uh, and uh, a bunch of other songs, a bunch of fan favorites as well and hits, you know, all the other hits and stuff. But that we're, we're taking that tour to Australia, the UK, um, the United States and two different tours with different bands so we'll do about a month in may june and then a month in um september october so and then a bunch of one-offs like you know flyaway dates throughout the year like we always do so we got a real busy year coming up that's cool so you you guys were doing some stuff kind of every other year during the summer with the other 90s bands would that be part of this or is this more Everclear and then you know a couple opening bands well, that's the thing is is that what you're referring to is a, a tour called Summerland, which we actually didn't do every other year. We did every year for about six years, and it's a tour I put together of 90, 90s bands that from 2011 on to I think the last one was 2018. Um, so we, uh, but what we're doing this year is all the bands that are opening up for us on the two different tours are all 90s bands so this year it's going to be summerland pre- presents the uh the, the um everclear 20th anniversary songs from the movie tour so it's a little bit of both but it's all 90s bands bands that had hits back in the 90s i can't announce the bands right now um but um we will in the next few weeks when we got dates solidified We'll look for it at everclearmusic.com, and uh, hopefully you stop in St. Louis. That's uh, I'm uh, located in St. Louis, and we love you here. Oh, I appreciate that. I love St. Louis. I uh, noticed that it was a 314 number, so I was hoping that's where it was. So you know the 314 area code. That's that's pretty solid. I know more area codes than you can shake a stick at. <laughs> <laughs> is that a talent, or is that just from all the years of working and touring? Just all the years of working and touring. Um. Yeah. So, I, actually, a buddy of mine told me to remind you of a a, a stop here in St. Louis in the in the the heydays of the '90s. Uh, did you remember a proposal happening on stage? Are you letting a guy propose on stage in St. Louis? Yeah. Yeah. It was one of the few times I did that, and it ended in disaster. <laughs> it I, always does. What was it? I won't let people do that on stage. 
because the girl always says yes, and then you find out that one of them's been like sleeping with the, the other one's brother or sister, and you know, it's it, it never, no one has ever got engaged on my stage and gotten married, <laughs> and finally I'm just like, nope, really, you're gonna say no? Yes, I'm gonna say no. I don't want that bad juju anymore, man. Go, go send your sin somewhere else. It's the, it. the ever clear marriage curse, I guess, is what they'd call it. Yeah, I guess so. So I, I'm just always when I when I get a chance to, to kind of look, uh, you know, at, at the success of bands. I mean, you guys hit at the perfect time, mid '90s. Uh, alternative radio was becoming a big thing. I know MTV had a show called 120 Minutes, but I'm just curious, like early on. I mean, you kind of you kind of got into it late because your you, you know your youth was kind of rough. So tell me a little bit about that, just that starting your band and then trying to get it to Capitol Records. I, I think, you know, I read that you went ahead and hired someone to kind of to, to promote your band and then you get to Capitol Records. I just, I, I'm always curious, that jump from we're in our garage, we're trying to sell these things out of our, our trunk and now Capitol Records has, has us and now we're Santa Monica's on MTV every day. All right, for the record, I never tried to get on Capitol Records. They came after me. Um, we, I moved to Portland. I had a record label in San Francisco and met a girl on tour from, from Portland. She came to live with me. She got pregnant. We, uh, we're going to have the baby. We decided to have the baby. And um, we, even though my band was in San Francisco, it made more sense to move to Portland. I, my sister, two of my sisters lived there. Uh, her family lived there. So we had a, a network there, right? So we put the baby first and I moved up there. And, uh, I, uh, we, uh, after having the baby, I started a band about the same time called Everclear with different players. And the guys weren't very good and I wasn't really sure what it sounded like. And it just so happens I met a guy. I was digging a ditch for somebody to make extra money on a Saturday because we were poor. And I had a kid, I had a baby at home. And, uh, I saw these guys in the, the yard next to me going into the basement, these hipster looking guys. I'm like, oh man, that's a drug deal. And then uh, I see this guy. He looks at me. He comes out of there and goes, Hey man, I know you. You're in that Everclear band, right? That plays at the, the, the Belmont Tavern. Like, yeah. And he goes, want to see my studio? And so I go over and look at his studio, the basement studio. It's a four track, uh, or it's actually a quarter inch eight track task camp. And it, but he's got mics and padding and everything. And he's like, yeah, it's like 10 bucks an hour. And I go, I go, would you take some stuff in trade? And he said, yeah. So he gave me $400 worth of credit for a couple of effects. And we recorded our first album, World of Noise, for that. And, uh, I, I, I put it out around town and, uh, we got accepted to South by Southwest and people just freaked out on the record and we started getting a lot of gigs in Portland. And then I did, I had a record label there, but they couldn't afford to promote it. So I hired out of my own money, it was 700 bucks, uh, between me and my manager. Um, and we hired this, these people to work us to college radio and we got to number three on the college radio charts and that's when the labels started coming looking for us so maybe that's what you were talking about 
Yeah, I guess so. But then capital find how how does capital? You said they look they found you. I mean, how does that? Where they didn't find me. I had twenty seven labels. I was in a bidding war, and I picked. I I basically went to them and said, "This is what I want. This is what I I need. I gotta have this. I gotta have this. I'll do this, but I gotta have this." And then the last thing I said to all the labels, "Oh yeah, by the way." Um, uh, I need total control. I have last word on everything and I get to produce my own records. And like about, you know, of the 27 or 28 labels, most of them disappeared except for about five of them, capital being one of them. And they're like, okay, what else you got? And I'm like, okay. And I liked going with capital because they didn't have a whole lot of bands at that time. They had the, the, the beastie boys, um, and a couple other acts that had made some radio impact, but I felt like they'd be able to give us a lot of attention. So I picked them out of the last four or five labels. I mean, is that a pretty quick ascent, though? For I mean, it's just for you personally. I know you, you know you're you're working through, but like for this was sort of a new band, right? And then right away, am I getting that timeline correct? And is that kind of. Uh, uh. No, dude, it was two years of gigging okay. and constantly and touring. And you got to remember, this was like my, I was 32 years old when we got signed. So I've been in bands since I was 16. So I don't know about the quick ascent part of it. But it was a new um, band. This was your new band. I mean, you're trying and trying, but now. The, the yeah, but this, was, this same. was a different thing. But we've still been together for about two years. You know, but we got signed in in 94. And we started in April of 92. So it was two two years. Um, for those guys, yeah, it was a quick ascent. I think for the other guys in the band, I think it was pretty quick for them. For me, it wasn't because I had been working. Every band got bigger and bigger. Every band got more attention. Every band, I, I had already done major label demo deals with, uh, with major labels three or four times over the last the previous two or three years so i was building up to this but like i said this was my last shot i didn't get this i was going to end up probably moving to la and getting a job at a record label and you know with the hopes of someday running a record label that was that was my you know that was my fallback plan (laughs) man but 32 is definitely a little later to to break right for an alternative band obviously i didn't even break that's when we got signed we didn't break till I was 33. They, Capital, wanted me to lie about my age. They wanted me to tell people that I was 24 or 25, <laughs> and I'm like, no, nah, I'm not going to do that. <laughs> well, you pulled it off. You looked at you looked you looked 19. Yeah. <laughs> well, not not anymore. But back in the day, I, I, yeah, you know, I'm a late bloomer. My kids are late bloomers too, and we just things don't really come together for me. Didn't really come together for me physically, emotionally, financially until my 30s so my 30s were great my 30s and early 40s were a lot of fun uh my 50s i'm i love my life now but i mean i've had health issues so other than that um you know that's what happens as you start getting older especially like me when you burn the candle at both ends you got to pay for it someday that's how it works yeah, I'm going to ask you about your health in a little bit, but I kind of want to stay with your 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 ascent because then, so the second album then is Sparkle and Fade, correct? You had the first album that Capital puts out. Is this am I right on that timeline? Well, they didn't put it out; they re-released it. 
later that year in 94, they re released World of Noise and they worked a song called Fire Maple Sun as a, as a, uh, single and about three or four stations and, uh, one of them in Portland picked up on it. But it was setting up for Sparkle and Fate, which is our first major level record, but technically you're right, our second album. So Heart Spark Dollar Sign is kind of the first release, I believe, or Heroin Girl, one of the two, right? And then, but, but then Santa Monica, is not even really considered a signal. I'm just curious, what does, what, who? Yeah, I don't know where you're getting all this information. San Monica was always considered the single. Okay. Uh, I wrote, I got signed. The thing that was different, I think that you might be talking about, is that a lot of bands were signed for their hit single. That's all they had. And when we got signed to Capitol, I hadn't even written Santa Monica yet. I had Hard Spark Dollar Sign and, and Heroin Girl, but I hadn't written Santa Monica or You Make Me Feel Like a Whore um, or Summerland or any of those songs. So I wrote those songs after we got signed and I got some advance money and we moved out of the hovel we were living in and got a decent little house with a basement that I could rehearse in after we got signed. So I would write songs at night in my... Uh, living room or out on the porch if it was not it was summertime so it was nice outside and i didn't want to keep my two-year-old my baby awake so i'd be out on the porch writing songs and then uh the boys in the band would come over during the day and we would rehearse and work the songs out in the basement and uh yeah santa monica was just one of those songs but from the first time my a and r guy heard it he was like that is that's the song that's that's the song but when we when they put out the first when they put out sparkle and fade uh they wanted a more aggressive song and i did too so heroin girl was the first song that came out and we only got about 15 stations to play it across the country and that's when the panel for alternative was about 134 stations but we got 15 to play it because they were afraid of the word heroin but the 15 stations that played it, you know, it was top five. It was it was a huge request, and it was a really popular song. But they didn't really work it that hard. And then later that summer, uh, that came out in uh, May. Of, uh, Sparkle and Pick came out in May of 1995. And then in the fall, we released as our second single, Santa Monica. And they gave me a budget to, to make a video that was a pretty decent budget. It wasn't big, but it was a lot bigger than the one that they gave me for Heroin Girl. And uh, we made that video in the summertime, and then it got played on 120 Minutes, like you said, in Alternative Nation and MTV, and then it went into Buzz, Buzz Band around Christmas time, and that's when it just exploded. Yeah, and so you, and, and you mentioned you mentioned the A and R guy. I mean, you write an album, and you, I don't do you you don't write to make singles right i mean you have ideas in your head but when you're when your a&r guy goes oh my goodness that's a single how does it not become that's the first single like this is the, the song we're going to launch with you guys you mentioned that you wanted a harder song to start with there was there was sort of a, a an idea of how to launch you guys out into the mainstream i guess was hey here's a hard song but you know we think this band is going to sound like santa monica a lot well i mean that's the thing is we sound like if, when you listen to when you when you listen back to uh, Sparkle and Fade, 
I think that it sounds more monochromatic than it did at the time. In other words, I think a lot of the songs sound pretty similar and they don't sound that, that different from each other. Where at the time, you know, Santa Monica and Heroin Girl sounded, you know, different. One was really fast and hard and the other one was a little bit slower, had a little country feel to it before the big guitars kicked in. You know, it, it was a, it was a, it seemed like a different vibe. But uh, at the time, the, the popular idea was that your second single off a record was going to be the big single. That's kind of the way they looked at it. I know it doesn't make a lot of sense, especially when you look at Nirvana and Teen Spirit. That was the first single. They weren't screwing around. Well, but that's the thing. They, meaning um, Geffen, Gary Gersh, who was their A&R guy, who became who was the president of Capitol when we got signed there at Capitol, um, the, he didn't think that was the hit. He thought, he thought, uh, come as you are was the big hit. You know, he thought that was going to be the big hit off the record and that teen spirit was the, uh, opening, you know, here we are, this check, check them out. This is their street cred song. It's really aggressive. And of course, that single just changed popular music as we know it at that time. You know, it just killed everything else that was going on on radio and uh, other bands. Bands like Pearl Jam that had a rec- their record had been out for a year, they couldn't get arrested. And all of a sudden, they were dubbed a, a grunge band and they started selling millions of records. And yeah, it's it's like Nirvana. Make no bones about it. And don't listen to anyone who tells you otherwise. Nirvana opened the door for all those bands. They opened the door for Green Day. They opened the door for us, for Soundgarden. Soundgarden had been around, but until that album, until Nevermind, no one was paying really attention to it except hardcore fans and more cult magazine fanzine type stuff. The, the mainstream wasn't paying attention till Nirvana. It w- and so, exactly. But, and that's, you're, um, you know, up in that area. I get, are you up in that area at that time when they when they take off? Or you're a Portland guy, but they're Seattle. I mean, is that... No, I was, living, I was living in San Francisco with my girlfriend from Portland. And then later that year, after we found out she was pregnant, that's when we moved up to Christmas in 91. Uh, Nevermind came out, I think, in September, August of 91. And we moved up there... Uh, I had gotten bleach in 90 from a different girlfriend. And so I was already a fan of Nirvana and I'd been hearing about this new album. And then that came out in September and we were touring, uh, color finger was touring across the country. And then, uh, when I came home, me and my girlfriend at the time, it became my second wife, Jenny, um, mother, of my eldest daughter, Anna, we, we moved to Portland in December and, uh, and, uh, color finger i tried to do the long distance thing with my band in san francisco that didn't really work out because i didn't have the money to go back and forth so in april i put an ad out in a local newspaper uh called the rocket a local northwest paper and that's how i found people for to start everclear that's i mean it's so great i we were talking about santa monica i i know that heart spark and heroin are on the radio but when Santa Monica blows up, what is that like 
just for you to every time you get in the car i, I mean i love i love the song still i, I love all, all the, 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 the i mean these songs are just they're just like i was in college back then and it's just like the soundtrack of my college so i i really appreciate that you taking some time and talking and I, I love the songs but what is it what is it for you back at that time in your life when holy holy shit we've exploded like we are now part of this this mainstream you know what man the funny thing about it is is when that stuff was happening it wasn't like this real fast overnight thing it was like this gradual over a period of two years getting bigger and playing these clubs and getting bigger and playing these clubs and going to uh, seattle and, and and developing and following there and um uh you know then the northwest and the west coast and then slowly touring all over the country for two years in the back of a minivan uh you know uh four guys in a minivan and uh it was so it was this gradual thing so when it actually exploded over christmas it's like we were building up building up we'd sold a hundred thousand copies and then right before christmas we were uh right right about like we we sold i remember we sold like nine thousand copies the week before christmas and then the industry shuts down for like three three weeks so we had no idea what was going on but we heard that mtv was starting was going to put our video for santa monica into heavy rotation on what they called the buzz bin you remember the buzz bin or is that a little before your time but that's when they would take alternative songs and put it into like every day it got played like eight times a day and so we had no idea what was going on until about the 4th of January and we found out that we had gone from selling 9,000 records a week to 38,000 records a week and then the next week was 45,000 records a week and then 50,000 records a week and within like three weeks like by the end of January February I get a call from my uh my uh, guy uh, my uh, NR guy and he's like your album's going gold I just want to let you know that and that's when we booked a headlining tour with a band that someone sent me a, a tape of that they thought was going to be big and it was it was uh, uh, no doubt and I'm like oh yeah <laughs> I heard I heard you know just a girl I'm like oh yeah this band's going to be huge uh, they'll, we'll be opening for this band in a, in a year for sure and uh, them and a band I forget another band um, but we uh, yeah we did our first bus tour and, and where we we were the headliner and we sold these places out all all over the country like 1,000 seaters 1,500 seaters bands like clubs that we had opened for other bands in and used to dream about like playing in there for, with with you know like headlining someday and those all those places we thought were so big then now they look really small to us it's funny so it's just you know it's just relative how that goes but at the time it was so exciting to be a part of it and but to answer your original question i think i for, for speaking for myself i kind of put the blinders on a little bit and didn't really give my chance myself a chance to really enjoy the success you know i was just like i was always constantly looking at what we're going to do next what we're going to do next and not really savoring that time i had fun though i had a lot of fun don't get me wrong um and uh 
it, looking back on it now and uh, every now and then I'll, people will send me uh, links to stuff on YouTube of like us playing a show in 96 you know and to 3,500 people in Philly and there's a mosh pit the size of Rhode Island going on you know and that's when we were a three piece and it's just fun to watch the evolution of the band over those years yeah and you hit it at such a perfect time i hope you have a couple more minutes because i had a few more questions for you 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 you, the next album is uh so much for the afterglow it's got i will buy you a new life father of mine everything to everyone big hits all these songs are just such fun songs and but a lot of them aren't dealing with happy happy topics but the music is happy and i was just curious about your writing style did you did you come up with the music yourself too i know you write your 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 lyrics but was that intentional that these songs are got this happy even though father of mine is about a dad who left you yeah i write everything dude i write them i produce them i arrange them i i play and back then until just about six seven years ago i played all the guitar sometimes the bass as well um, and sang most of the vocals. So it's always been my band. Just like Trent Reznor's Nine Inch Nails, same thing. It's my band. Um, yeah, as far as the happy, sad thing goes, that's just, I, I think I grew up just listening to a lot of melodic music, and I love melodies. So you hear a lot of, like, aggressive guitar riffs and, and hooks and stuff with melodies, but I also like singer-songwriters who write more serious-type songs. So I always thought Everclear was a blend of a hard rock slash punk rock band um, and a singer-songwriter. That's what we are, for, for, for better or for worse. And you mentioned that you're always thinking forward. So after the success of that first album, that, that album comes out with those songs, how much pressure were you feeling like, oh my, you know, that, that second album you know we how, do you is that in your mind at all times man we gotta we gotta top that or is it you know no, no i i refuse to play that game but my you know the people at capitol did but they also knew that i had this uh thing that you know don't call me asking for demos i'm not gonna do demos don't don't do this i dictated to them even when we got the deal like i said before you know, I, I dictated what we wanted and what we do. and But I knew that if you were going to go into a major label, you had to provide them with something to work with. So I was just, and you were right earlier, I don't write singles. Um, but I kept writing songs and writing songs till I had a single or two or three that, that sounded like they could go to radio. And then, you know, when I was, like my A&R guy Perry who's still a friend of mine would come over and I would play him the songs and he'd be like okay yeah you you got what you're giving us what we need to work with make a great record when you think the record's done let's put it out and so I was blessed to have that because that's what I wanted and that's why I signed with that guy you know because he was he got it and you know and I understood you had to have singles I understood that so um when we started making the record, so, uh, so much for the Afterglow, in the fall of 96, I, uh, it was called, the working title was called, uh, Pure White Evil. And I recorded a bunch of songs for it, and we mixed it, and it 
just, you know, I remember playing it for Perry and he listened to it all the way through and he's like, well, it's, it's a good record, Arthur, you know, calls me Arthur in his English accent. It's a good record, but it's not a great record and it's not going to do what you want it to do for your career. You can do better. You have a better record in you. I know this. And it really kind of broke my heart. I knew it. He was telling me what I already knew. I was hoping he was going to tell me, no, this is great. But I knew it wasn't great. And I spent the next two weeks in New York by myself just walking around. I uh, got a notebook just writing stuff down. And I wrote a couple of, I wrote about three or four new songs. And I wrote copious notes of what I wanted to do with songs we'd already recorded. And I had this idea and I wrote, I had written a song called So Much for the Afterglow. So I got on a phone call with my management, with my, uh, the guys in the band, with my A&R guy. And I'm like, uh, okay, so we're going to get rid of these three songs. I got these new songs. We're going to go in a studio when I get back to Portland <clears throat> and, and, going to the studio in LA and work on these songs and we're going to do this to this to this and this we're going to call it so much for the afterglow and uh, and I want to get Andy Wallace who mixed Nevermind to mix this record and he, he agreed to do it and we came back and worked about three and a half months straight and finished the record in late June of 2007 did the photo shoot for it and then uh and then the record came out in October, and the first single of it, Everything to Everyone, was our first number one song. Santa Monica never got to number one. It got to like number three, but it stayed at number, it stayed in the top five forever at alternative radio, rock radio, even pop radio, but it never got to number one. And Everything to Everyone was our first number one song. Was that, was that supposed to sound like Pac Man at the beginning, or is that just my head? in the back that's just your that's just your head dude okay that was no i like i like droney stuff and that album that song had kind of a bass and drum bass and drum drum and some bass kind of feel to it and uh when i wrote that song and i uh um it's funny because the original version when we first mixed it didn't have that intro and i felt like it needed this iconic drone to it something and I sat down at a uh, Wurlitzer and I had the engineer everybody else went off and got lunch I sat there for an hour and a half and just kept putting effects on it and, and, and just sculpting the sound by the time they got back I recorded this intro for the song that I put throughout the song to take it up in the choruses and here and there and I felt like that's what it needed and it really did but it was the it was the ear candy that really took the song up, you know, is that hook. I'm a, I'm a, I'm a music fan, and I like to think that I can hear things like, oh, that song is exactly the same as that song, and I always thought that was the beginning of Pac-Man or a part of Pac-Man. So I, you dispelled my my myth 20 years later. Sorry. I thank you. Sorry, brother. <laughs> Sorry to crush your dreams. <laughs> All right, so I've kept you long. I'm going to wrap up here, but we did start a little bit earlier talking about that that third album, which you're going to tour on, and it had AM radio and Wonderful, and Wonderful's a huge hit. I love AM, AM radio, but go ahead. You were going to say something. 
It's our fourth album. Fourth. Sorry, I keep. That's where I get lost. Is that that first album was not as big as these next three? But um, right. so right. this will you'll go on tour with this one. But um, you decide to sample Mr. Big Stuff in AM radio, um, which I forgot about until I read. I'm like, that's right. That is a sample, kind of in the background there. But uh, lo- kind of. it's it's the sample. <laughs> we didn't even re- we didn't even recreate it, which we should have because we hadn't paid them money. I mean. For that song, and it was a hit single, we didn't get hardly any money from that, publishing-wise, and I wrote that song. But I had always wanted to, I would always liked the intro, you know, I grew up in the 70s and a housing project, so it's that original song that came out in 1972, Mr. Big Snuff, Mr. Big Stuff by uh, Gene Knight, was uh, just like one of my favorites, one of my favorite songs when I was a kid. That came out when I was 10 years old and listening to AM radio constantly. So the, the juxtaposition of like taking that intro riff and building a song around it that, that moved around and sounded like an Everclear song, that was the challenge. And with the advent of the technology that was with Pro Tools that was going on in the early and mid nineties, I, uh, that's when, you know, I could play around with something like that. And I had a friend who was doing it and I bought him a rig and, we just started working on stuff to, to try to do stuff outside the box. We, we have a station in St. Louis that still plays 50s and 60s on AM radio, and I, I will go to it um, because that's the way I want to hear those songs sometimes. I want to hear how my dad and my mom heard them. So that when you put that song out, it's great because it starts with that AM static. Uh, it's just a great song. It's just that's a fun, perfect, happy song that you can listen to at any time, and it doesn't really, it really just takes you back, or you don't have to be in any sort of mood to listen to it. That's why, I, I, and a lot of your songs are. I love. I will buy you a new life. I know it's a kind of about you know some you talk about welfare, Christmas, and all that thing, but it's still happy. It's a weird thing to me. All these songs are, have some you know your you have some hint of. Uh, some rough spots in your in your childhood or in the back, but at all times I feel like these are happy songs, and I feel like maybe is that you know in my I don't know if I'm even asking a question, but maybe that's cathartic for you to write and make a happy song out of a bad situation. Well, it is cathartic. That's what we do. That's the human experience is taking taking the lemons and making lemonade, right? That's what we do. That's that's the only way to cope with when things don't go the way we want them to go. And um, I always think in every Everclear song, there's always a light at the end of the tunnel. Sometimes you got to squint really hard to see it, but it's there. And uh, that even, you know, whether the music's melodic and happy or heavy, like Heroin Girl or some other songs like Twist Inside, you know, that, that are like more heavy musically, uh, like California King, you know, we've got all sorts of heavy songs that fan, that are fan favorites that people want to hear. But even then, I think the lyrics are still have uh, a light at the end of the tunnel. Well, I um, like I said, I have just really enjoyed this chat. Um, I did want to mention that you know you did mention uh, some health issues and. You came out, I think, what last year, and mentioned uh, MS has been part of your life, at, at, you know, for a while now, but kind of starting to, to to take a little more of a hold. But how are you feeling? How obviously you're going on tour, so um, you you must be feeling okay. But tell us a little bit about that, and 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 being a part of telling people about this disease because you could be kind of a, a face of that. Yeah, you know, I mean, well, what happens? I got in a car accident back in 2016. 
uh, and no one got hurt. And uh, I, about two weeks after the accident, I, I started feeling a twinge in my neck, and I, I called the doctor, and he's like, hey, you probably got a pinched nerve. Um, I'll give you a, an epidural for it, but go get an MRI first, and let me see where it's at. So I went and got an MRI, and then went to the guy's office for our appointment. I walk into this little examination room like I always do, and he's usually in there by himself. And there's like six men in there in smocks and clipboards, and they all turn around and look at me like they're looking at a dead man. And I'm just like, oh, this isn't good. I don't know what this is, but this isn't good. And they tell me that they uh, saw, you know, lesions on my spine, and uh, they felt like I had um, uh, RRMS, remitting resetting multiple sclerosis. And uh, I went and saw a uh, neurologist who did a bunch of cohesive tests, and there was nothing else wrong with me. My blood pressure is not high. I don't have cholesterol. My heart's good. Um, I don't have brain. I don't have cancer. I don't have brain um, tumors, you know. But I have uh, multiple sclerosis. So, yeah, I lived with it for about two or three years, and then I decided to come out public with it last year. And But even before I came, became public with it, I, I was um, working with a, an organization called Sweet Relief. And give, to this day, every show I play, either solo or with Everclear, I give a dollar from every every ticket sold I work it out with the promoter where we just add another dollar on there and that dollar goes straight to them and uh, so we've been raising money for them and for Music Cares and for um, uh, the Multiple Sclerosis Society and uh, uh, yeah I've had people want me to become more of a spokesperson for that and I like talking to people about it I don't really want that to define me per se and it hasn't gotten any worse. You, you mentioned that it's it's it, you know it's gotten worse. Actually, it's gotten better in the last few months because uh, I was, a guy reached out to me who's kind of a famous nutritionist and put me on a protocol. I went to a retreat that he was doing, and uh, I've been plant based, 100% vegan, plant based for about six and a half months, and I got to stay that way for another three months, and I can start putting meat back in my diet, but. Very, very little and very, you know, like organic and no oil, no salt, no, no sugar, no, um, you know, it's a pretty strict diet. But I feel a lot better. I have so much more energy. Um, you know, everything's better. But it's still there. I can tell my balance isn't good. You know, my, my body's weaker than it has been. But I'm 57 at the same time. So... I had been feeling this for a while. When I got diagnosed, they thought I had had it for at least 20 years already. And I got diagnosed in, in, in uh, 2016. So you go back 20 years, that's 96. So ever since Santa Monica's been around on the radio, I had, I had it. Or maybe even before that, they're not sure, but they just, they're convinced because what the lesions look like, they've been around for a while. It just hadn't hit me that that hard and as I was younger and stronger. And as I got older, it sort of affected me more. But you can still scream Santa Monica's uh, the, the end part there, right? Every day. Oh, perfect. 
I, I really appreciate this conversation. I, I know you had kind of obviously a, a rough upbringing. You had some some losses in your life, and then you guys hit it big, and, and then the MS scare for you. But it just sounds like you're really enjoying life, and you're just you're 57, and you're out there rocking. I, I just it just sounds like you've you've really you've mastered life outside of having to eat uh, oh, vegan. You got to be you gotta, crazy. I mean, I haven't mastered life, but I I am I am. I'll tell you one thing that this has given me, Brand, is that I am very grateful for what I have and and not remorseful of what I don't have. And it's really helped me focus on that. And that is something I try to impart to people. It's like, be grateful for what you have. I'm 57 years old. I play in a rock band. I've got a great wife. I've got a great kids. I've got friends. I've got a great house. It's not huge. I'm not rich. But I make a good living from being able to play rock and roll. I am living the American dream. It used to be the American dream is every kid wanted to be president. Now kids want to be rock stars. I wanted to be a rock and roller. I never even wanted to be a rock star. I just wanted to make a living from playing guitar in a rock and roll band. And that's what I do. So talk about dreams coming true. And I'm still doing it. And I'm still making music on my own um, volition and by my own rules, I don't play anyone's game. No one's my boss. I mean, I'm, I'm living the dream. All right, I've got MS. I have a hard time walking through airports. Uh, you know, it's not easy. Every The thing about the MS, it makes everything a little bit harder. Just like when you get older, it makes things harder. This makes it a little bit more harder. Um, and it, it, I mean... You know, but I changed my diet. I changed my exercise. I do everything I'm supposed to. I'm building a pool in my backyard to, so I can swim because that's one exercise I can do because I don't get overheated. You know, so yeah, it, it's 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 a part of my life, like any anything, good or bad. But even the bad things sometimes can can give you blessings. It's 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 taught me a lot about being grateful and being appreciative and really, really enjoying the life that I, I have as long as I can. Yeah. Well, again, I said this earlier. I just hope you know how many people, is, and I'm just a huge fan. I love these songs and, and like I said, soundtrack of my college years. Um, so I, I really appreciate this chat. Um, I hope you make it to St. Louis. I hope you get to eat some more meat soon because I, I can't imagine not eating meat. I'd, I'd oh, be hungry. It's rough. <laughs> it's rough, dude. It's rough. No barbecue, no steak, no hamburgers. It's rough. Uh, ever, Everclearmusic.com is your website. Is there anything you wanted to add that I may have missed uh, to promote anything? we got the tour coming up. Everyone can look for you guys. Hopefully, like I said, you'll make a stop in St. Louis. But is there anything I missed that you want to bring up? Yeah, just check out my solo record that just came out in, uh, a couple months ago. It's, it's really cool. If you like Everclear, you're going to like this record. It's called Sun Songs Art Alex Hockus. It's on the end slash... Uh, BMG uh, record label, so it's it's distributed by a major label, so it's everywhere. You can stream it, you can buy it online, iTunes. Um, come to the shows, you can buy vinyl from me, or buy it online and, and CDs. And uh, I think it's a really cool record. Yeah. So what? Let me ask, if you don't mind me asking, what what made you want to do a solo album after all these years? You said Everclear is kind of all you, so. What what makes you decide this is the time to, to do a, an Art Alex Eckes, uh solo album? Well, because I was writing songs, but I didn't want to do a big rock record. 
Um, I wanted to do something different, and doing the record by myself with just one guy, uh, an engineer slash co-producer, uh, sounded like fun because I'd never done anything like that before. That's my whole MO these days. I don't want to do it if it doesn't sound fun. I don't care how much money it pays. You know, I got a little money in the bank. I got bills paid. I, if it, if it isn't fun or doesn't sound like a good experience, I won't do it. There's a promoter, uh, actually in your neck of the woods down there that is just a nightmare to deal with. And I just won't accept shows from him anymore. I've told my agent, don't, don't take any offers from that guy because I'll say no to it because it's not fun. You know, it's, it's, uh, I'll go out, I'll work with anybody. But people who are always trying to scam you, I don't want to be around that kind of that kind of person. I, I have the ability to say no to it. And and I think that's a blessing in its own right, for sure. Really was fun having a chance to talk it over with Art Alexakis from Everclear, the lead singer. And hopefully they do show up in St. Louis. But hopefully you enjoyed that. Again, I'm a huge music fan, huge baseball fan. And here in 2020, the podcast will feature... All kinds of different people, uh, comedians, as I've done a few of those in the past, but I'm going to kind of ratchet that up. Uh, baseball broadcasters, baseball players, all the stuff you love, but hopefully you enjoyed that. If you're my age, uh, Everclear was a, a big deal, and uh, I hope uh, you enjoyed that. I'm sure my folks at Masses, my title sponsor, enjoyed it. STLMasses.com is the website to find uh, the menus and locations. There's five of them in St. Louis. Delicious, delicious pasta. Huge portions. All my longtime listeners have, have told me they go in there all the time. They say, Yeah, Brad sent me. He said I might buy you know, I might get like a little free toasted ravioli since Brad sent me. So you go in there, you walk into Winghaven, ask for Tony Massa. And just say Brad from here's the pitch sent you. And they'll they'll be like, Who? And it'll be exciting. But hopefully you enjoyed the chat today. I really did, too. And again, in 2020, uh, hopefully you'll see more podcasts, more frequency, but uh, definitely a hodgepodge of different guests throughout the new decade and beyond and always looking for sponsors. Uh, like I said at the onset, I, I'm hoping uh, for some good news here in the next couple months. Uh, I've got some feelers out there, but uh, always looking for, for more. So if you're interested... You can find me on all the social media. Brad Strobinger is the name. You can find me on Twitter. You can go to Here's the Pitch on Facebook. You can go to our website, here's-the-pitch-.com. Here's the pitch.com. Put some dashes in there. That's the website. I blog about the podcast and uh, all the other great social media areas you can find me. Uh, you can find me on YouTube as well, as, as this interview has been posted there as well. So I appreciate uh, Art for being a guest. And uh, again, Everclear, hopefully coming through St. Louis. I, I love the music. I really appreciated his time, and I hope you enjoyed it. Hopefully more like these coming throughout 2020. We'll talk to you soon.